Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. Hello, everybody. This is episode 1515 for us. We have been more consistent. It has not been three or six months since the last time we posted an episode. Um, And we are, as always, super excited to just start this conversation with our guest today. Today's guest is Tina Bauer, and Tina is going to share her experiences with us about her time in foster care and as an adoptee. And I must confess, I had a girl crush on her on Instagram, and she's just adorable, so you should follow her. But also, she is really awesome at just being transparent and an advocate for other kids in the system, as well as educating anybody who's interested. So we're super honored to have her on our show today. So, Tina, tell us just a little bit about your story and your journey through foster care and to adoption. I was in a sibling pair with my brother, and we were born um, to a very young woman, and she was not able to care for us. So we were put into foster care, and then we experienced reunification with our family or tried to reunify with our family, but... It just kept not working out. And so we kind of were stuck in that cycle for four years. And in that time, we just experienced a lot of really negative things. Um, We were not in a good home. Uh, Yeah, we were just not in a good home. We experienced a lot of things that children should not. And then we were adopted when we were three and four. And thankfully, we were adopted into the same family, which was basically a miracle because we are actually technically half siblings. And so our statistic for being placed together was actually really low. Um, So we were very thankful for that. And that's kind of the early part of our journey. So talk to us a little bit about what happened after you were adopted. I know you've shared about this on your page a little bit, just about like the struggles that you were having as a kid, some of your behaviors, and then your process kind of getting you to now. I know that's a lot of stuff, but just kind of in general, how did you, you know, get from that to a place where you feel open about Mm -hmm. talking about this? So when I was adopted, I was a very troubled child. I was labeled as hard to place and things like that. I had a lot of behavior issues and my brother didn't. So it was kind of, I was a huge contrast to him in that because I was not a sweet child. (laughs) Um, I would just kind of, I was very assertive. I had a very strong will. Um, I had reactive attachment disorder. I had Pika disorder. I had all these different issues um, because of the environment that I was in. Like most of them weren't developmental. I mean, some of them were developmental delays, but they weren't like inherited things 
Um, but we, we specifically, I was labeled as special needs. And most of those were just like emotional and behavioral needs. And so that really affected me as a kid. Um, so I was four and I just, I kind of went between like super excited to be adopted and like super mad (laughs) to be adopted. I didn't understand or trust that my family was going to be forever because I had been in three, four homes by then. Um, I had had people come and see us at the foster home and like want to separate us because my brother was a cute baby. And so I like, I had been through all that. And so I didn't want to trust my family (laughs) and I didn't understand why. I couldn't be with my mom. Um, and so I spent a lot of time being a very angry child and that kind of showed itself as like, I would not let anyone like touch me or hold me. Um, part of that was emotional. Part of that was having been physically abused for showing any emotion at all. So I kind of just stopped because what's the use of crying if you get hurt? I just kind of just lived in that. My parents um, worked very hard to be patient with me and be kind with me. Actually, the other day I was talking to my mom, my adoptive mom about this. And she was like, yeah, I knew that when you and your brother came into our family, that I had to parent you and him with more compassion than maybe your sister's um, And I thought that was very interesting. I mean, as a parent, you should always have compassion. But she knew that we needed a little more. Um, And it was simple things like, you know, if your child throws a tantrum, usually you're like, okay, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. But for them, it was like they had to realize that there were deeper issues than just I was four or I was five or I was six. So I think that that really helped me kind of I guess, begin to heal in a way. Um, But that was more like under my parents. And so as I grew up, I, I started to learn to try to show emotion, (laughs) but I wasn't very good at it. Like I would be super angry or like super happy. And I didn't know how to be neutral or really like control my feelings in that. Um, I still to this day, I have issues with people touching me. And so they just had to learn to like, I guess, be patient with me in that. And then I guess it was when I was like a teenager more, I began to kind of go like backwards more. (laughs) Um, I think I had a time when I was maybe in middle school or junior high where I was a little more caught up and maybe normal in a sense. But then in high school, I just kind of like, like you get those hormones and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's hard to be in high school. Like that's a hard age for anyone. And then you add all of these other issues on top of it. And it was very hard, so hard. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, this is hard. I look at my friends and I see that they're not, they're not struggling as much or in these same ways like in making friends or well not really making friends I can make friends with anyone but like real friends if that makes sense 
And she always told me, she was like, Tina, you're, you're just, you're a kid and you're dealing with adult problems and it's not fair, but that's where you are. And she always called it too like compounded trauma. Like it's hard to be a kid. And then you have these things on top and it's like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> so I did, a, I think in high school, I just kind of like tried to deal with it on my own more and kind of didn't have the best way in dealing with it. I had a lot of different like relationships. I had um, severe depression. I had an eating disorder. I had self-harm. I just had, I had like everything on top of that. <laughs> and there, I remember like my mom tells me now, she's like, yeah, I asked like all my friends to pray for you. So it's like this child. And yet she didn't show me that side, which I think was good. Like, I didn't know that she was internally freaking out about me, but she was. Because but, but that that is kind of how you have to parent children, kind of like us. We have these issues that are going to scare you to death, but we can't see that you're scared because we need to see that you're, you believe in us. And we've seen people be scared of us, if that makes sense. Um, I spent my whole time in foster care basically dismissed because of my behavior um, because I was so bad. <laughs> and so I think that during that time, that was a really hard time. And yet I found a space in my heart to do humanitarian or missions work. And so I went overseas every summer of high mm. school and somehow God used me. I'm not really sure how because I was this crazy lady. Um, and I kind of like developed my identity in that I was going to be missionary. Um, when I graduated high school, I was going to move to Africa <laughs> and just train teachers and, um, do all that. I had been in Africa, I think I've been five times. And my last time I built, I built an after school program curriculum. And I was like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like my life at home is a wreck emotionally. I mean, like. My family unit was very healthy. That was not the problem. It was me. <laughs> and and in that time, too, in Africa, like, God used a lot of different adults in my life, too, who had been through hard things as well, like an affair or, you know, drug abuse or alcohol abuse, like, things like that, like, hard things. And they, God used those people to speak into my life and help me heal more in bigger ways. And I think that that was that is a common theme in my story and in my healing is that God uses people outside my family and inside my family, but especially outside my family in special ways. Like, yes, he used my mom in big ways, but I wasn't as receptive to her. And so I liked hearing from people who are from hard places, I guess. And I liked hearing how they overcame because I was like, well, maybe one day I'll do that. <laughs> and so I think that that was very important for me. And I experienced a lot of that in Africa. And then when I came back, um, I went to college and I started getting better. Um, I kind of did counseling with friends one-on-one. -on -one. I did have professional counseling when I was in high school um, and that helped a lot, but I didn't like it. <laughs> and so I started, I preferred counseling more with 
friends who were either from hard places and had overcome or friends who had degrees in trauma counseling. So I did more of that too. Um, and I really did start to get better and I met my husband. Well, I already knew him. I've known him since I was six, but (laughs) we started dating and I think he's helped me a lot too. Like he's very patient and kind with me, which I really need. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of childhood, I guess, through where I am now. I'm soaking it all in. So I heard a lot of good things in that, that I think are super helpful. One thing that you said that I've never heard before, but that line that you said about so many people are scared of us. Yeah, that was really powerful. And that we need to feel like you're not scared of us. And I, I think you also said, you know, it is scary for people who are not living it. It's scary really for everybody. And I think a lot of people who want to parent kids from hard places, it does scare them. Sometimes in a selfish way, like we're scared for how it's going to affect us. But other times scared for the child, you know, what's going to happen if these things don't Mm -hmm. get better. But I think it's definitely something interesting to think about. How do we, how do we express that fear? I don't know a better word, you know, um, in a way that doesn't further like damage you, the kid, because you're right. That probably isn't helpful if you feel like your parent Mm -hmm. is afraid of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for my parents, like they, so I guess a little more background on my family that I was adopted into is my brother and I made uh, numbers five and six. So they had parented four daughters already. Um, My closest sister to my age was 11, 12, something like that. I think, wow, that seems crazy. (laughs) Um, and so they, I mean, they had parented before, like they weren't like, you know, newlyweds or anything like that. Like they were 40 when we were born. So I guess they were like 44, 43 when we were adopted. Um, my dad has been a pastor for my whole life as an adoptee, um, very involved in ministry, very grounded in their faith. My brother and I and the rest of our siblings, except for two, were homeschooled. Mm -hmm. And so they, I mean, my family was very established and very strong. And so I think that's kind of why they were able to look at us and say, yes, like we can be the family they need, not more like, will they fit in? Although there is an aspect of that. Um, like my mom told me the other day, she was like, uh, she, when, before they adopted us, they received like all of our paperwork. And I'm sure as you guys know, like you read through all that and you're like, whoa, what, what in the world? And a lot of it repeats because the longer you're in the system, the more, um, 
the more social workers you get and your case starts over like and that was our case like we had like so much paperwork for like not that long because people kept leaving and our case had to start over again and so my mom said that she read all that paperwork and she was like okay these kids have a lot of needs and she was like but I just kind of felt like the paperwork wasn't entirely reflective of who you guys actually were um she felt that the paperwork kind of labeled us as more I guess I mean like I said earlier like labeled us more as like developmentally special needs like it was an inherited thing more than like environmental if that makes sense my mom kind of sensed that we had all these issues because we were abused and neglected and abandoned children. And so she went, she said that she went to meet with the caseworker before they decided to adopt us. And she asked her, is this true or are they actually doing better than this says? Because I want to know that you can meet their needs. And the caseworker said something like, yeah, they're doing better. They, they'll do better if they're in a family where they're loved and cared for, which nobody had really said. Um, and actually interesting, um, I was talking to my social worker who finished our case. Um, I was talking to her today because I recently found her. And um, I was just asking her a few questions. and I, And she told me, that one of her biggest fears in finishing our case was that the way that our paperwork described us made us not sound adoptable. And she said that that was very concerning to her. And she was trying to do everything she could to basically say, no, this paperwork is not reflective of who they really are. Because the paperwork made us sound like these two emotionally disturbed children who would never succeed like they had placed all these labels on us like at risk retarded and um failure to thrive like again and again and again and like they projected our iqs to be nothing and like all these different things all these different things but it, it never like provided solutions or said what we needed um, and that's kind of where the caseworker stepped in for my mom. And so when my mom heard that, she was like, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> like, so I think that, but I think a lot of maybe families were scared away because of that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because yeah. I feel like in my case, my, you remind me like your story reminds me a lot of my daughter and I know probably Patricia, her boys, even though they're older, her paperwork, I didn't really get to see any of that until three years later when we started the adoption mm -hmm. process and it that paperwork is just so cold and I remember reading it and I cried because I just it made it seem I don't know it was just so cold and I'm like this is her history and it just seems like a checkbox for somebody you know and so that definitely reminds me of that paperwork. But I also think they underplayed my daughter's issues. I think they really focused on yours. But I feel like in our case, I mean, they said, she's great. She has no issues, you know. And then later when I'm like, um, this girl's throwing like very violent tantrums. And I don't know what to do. They're like, yeah, she does that sometimes. I'm like, okay, it's like every day. So, you know, they're like, yeah, so that happened before. I'm like, nobody told me that. So I feel like it's interesting how maybe it shifted since. I don't know if that's the experience of many people. 
I think it just depends who writes it. And I think it depends. It seems like, because, uh, you know, now we've started talking to people from different parts of the country. And I think, you know, even county by county, depending on what their agenda is, right, it can really vary um, on, on the way that things are approached. And I'm, I'm glad that we're even kind of talking about this because it's very important for people to be informed and to have the information about the struggles. But it's also important for people to have the context, like what you're saying, Tina. Yeah. They might have those struggles, but also understand the why. And it doesn't mean that it can't get better. And it, it likely will in the right environment. And I mean, there's a possibility that it won't. We've heard plenty of those stories too. I mean, not every kid gets better or gets better right away. Um, so, you know, I mean, I've definitely heard people on the other side too say like the paperwork said nothing, you know, and, <laughs> and then, and we just weren't prepared, not that they wouldn't have done it, but just that they weren't prepared for what the kid needed. It sounds like your mom saw it and was like, this is what these kids need. She was able to prepare herself for it and step up. But if you don't have the information, you can't prepare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think though, actually, my mom only had partial paperwork. Um, she didn't have our early, early history, mm -hmm. which was interesting to me. Um, that was sent later after we were um, adopted, which I don't know. I think it was because when we went through it three years ago, she was like, I don't remember reading this stuff. So, and so, but when you read that early history stuff, you're like, oh yeah, okay. I understand <laughs> like why you were the way you were. Mm -hmm. And that is, it is so hard to read. It is so hard to read. I um, want to go back to something else you said just about how important it was that you had people outside of your family unit to go to and talk to and how valuable that was for you. Because I think as parents, that's really, really hard. And it's something we struggle with, but also we try to really be vulnerable about on the podcast, just that we don't own these children. And just because, you know, we've brought them into our home doesn't mean we're going to be their saving grace. It doesn't mean we have the answers to all the problems, even though selfishly and humanly if that's a word that's what we want to do like we want to be the one we want to be the savior we want to be the one who has all the answers to all the problems i think that's a really important reminder just that we're we're not the only one and that god has other people you know in mind to help heal our children and what a disservice it would have been i mean think of how different your life would probably be if your mom had been controlling and possessive of you in that way and not you know or not even just didn't allow you but verbally mm -hmm. told you how or just showed you and she was annoyed with it or she was hurt by it you know i just i think of that the things that we do and don't do or or allow mm -hmm. or don't allow our children mm -hmm. to do um, outside of our home can really um, impact their their future. So I appreciate you just sharing that you really, yeah. I mean, you weren't yeah. receptive to your mom at that time. You weren't there yet, you know? So I appreciate that insight because that's really, I know that'll be really important going forward and raising mm -hmm. my daughters. I think it's really, it, it helps me to understand. And I, I know me as an adoptive mom have taken it personally when my and my boys are 
older. So you know, they were nine and 13 when they came to me. And especially my older one really still struggles with being receptive to me. And there's many days where I'm like, what have I done? You know, why? Um, but I think it's, it's important for us to be able to see that, you know, based mm -hmm. on the attachment stuff, that's kind of part of the gig that the parent relationship, maybe both or maybe one more than other, is going to have kind of an uphill battle. And I mean, I think when you were talking to me on the phone, Tina, you said it took you 13 years or something to really feel like you can connect, but you've gotten there now. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that with your mom, because I think there are a lot of people who need to hear it and so that they don't feel like they're alone <laughs> in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the thing that keeps coming to my mind right now is, yeah, I am doing really well now and I have done a lot of hard work, but my mom has done a lot of hard work too. A lot of that mm -hmm. hard work was stepping back and saying, okay, I want this child to bond with me, but bonding doesn't necessarily mean that she tells me everything. She had to realize that bonding meant that um, I would say, I love you back to her and not thank you after 13 years, things like that. I was very hot and cold with her. And I think that she had to do that work too, of realizing that it wasn't going to look the same as it did with her other four daughters. Um, or even with my brother who like bonded with her so quickly and it was in some senses easier. And I think she sometimes looked at him and looked at me and was like, what, what's, what's wrong here? But it just looks different. And it just took a lot of hard work with me and my mom and really my mom just not giving up on me. Um, she talks about how when she first saw the video of us um, from the social worker, the social worker asked me to sing my ABCs. And I said, nope, I want to. And I'm almost like, that right there is a strong will and that's a good thing. And she was one of the first people to look at me and say that. Everybody else saw that and was like, oh, that's a bad child. She needs medicine to be good. And my mom was like, no, that's an asset. Like, that's not a bad thing. And I think as I've grown up, I've seen that oh my gosh, I'm just like my mom. And I think that's partially why my mom didn't give up on me is because she saw a lot of herself in me. And so that's, I think that's an interesting thing to that I think about now. I'm like, oh, I'm just like my mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mom did a lot of things for me, like um, understanding that I couldn't always tell her everything. Um, I did a lot of uh, writing her letters. I would write her letters of things that I couldn't say, but I wanted to say. So I'd write her a letter and then I'd give it to her, she'd read it, and then she'd talk to me. <laughs> and so we did that a lot. And it was different, and, you know, but it was still communication. And so she accepted it because I was really bad at communication. And she preferred it over me locking myself in my room, which is the other thing I would do. <laughs> and or texting, like they got me a phone way earlier than any of my sisters had one because I love to text. She was like, fine, get you a phone. I'll text you. <laughs> like, so it's just things like that, like realizing that it's going to look different. Um, and I think that 
I know that she experienced a lot of hurt in that. I know that it was very, very hard for her that I didn't reciprocate love in the warm and fuzzy way that she expected or wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, she she tends to be a more sentimental person than me. And I'm just like, I wasn't then. Like, I think I'm growing into it now, but I wasn't then. I was not a touchy-feely person. I did not like hugs. I did not like kisses. I was not about that. Uh, but she was, my sisters were, so they were like, they just kind of made me do it. <laughs> and that was okay. But I think that she, I know that she experienced a lot of hurt in that. But she just, I mean, like I said, like she didn't always show it. Like sometimes she showed it and I could see it. And, you know, sometimes my dad had to step in and say, okay, that's enough. Like both of you need to go cool down. But for the most part, like, it was just, you know, I was allowed to struggle and sometimes it hurt her. And I do regret that now. Like, I wish that I had been able to pull it together sooner. But it was just, I mean, it was hard. <laughs> and I think that, you know, now our relationship is really good. And I think it's the best it's ever been. And I think that she's like so happy about that, that she's like, she doesn't really remember that I mean she remembers it but I think it's getting smaller and smaller for her now as she sees that you know it it's going to be okay and I think too while she was like trying to help me heal and understand my issues um she was also trying to keep a respectable mindset about my birth mother and about my birth family mm-hmm. and that's hard because he knew that a lot of the things that I was struggling with were direct effects of things they had done or not done. And so I think it was hard for her to look at me and not be upset or disappointed in them. Um, But she never let that show. Like she never did. Like I I never thought that she was unhappy with my mom. Um, I knew that she was sad and I never, the only person that I saw her get emotionally upset with was my foster mother. She was really unhappy with her. Um, like to this day, if you want to make her cry, just, you know, talk to her about that time in my life and she will cry and be very mad. Um, but she'll always like get really upset and then she'll be like, but she didn't know Jesus. So I can't hold her accountable for that. And I think that's very true is that you can't hold people accountable to love like Jesus when they don't know Jesus (laughs) and so I think that you know she's kind of seen that too but I mean I I can't imagine parenting me oh my gosh (laughs) so I mean I think she did a really good job and I think my dad did a really good job too um my relationship with him was different in some ways easier and because I never had a father figure um I never wanted a father figure, really. Like, when my dad stepped in, I was like, cool, it's a dad. But when my mom stepped in, I was like, uh-uh, I already got a mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's not enough room for both of you. <laughs> I think our whole lives together for almost 20 years has been learning to make room for all three of us. And so, but I think my mom's done a really good job in that. Can you talk a little bit about how your mom specifically 
made the room because, and I've heard this, the kid often feeling like there's not room, right? And either they try to push out their first family and just act like that's not real, or they become very like resentful and like you described hot and cold. I've definitely experienced that um, in, in our family. So how did your family help you to, I like how you said that, to make room and for you to accept that? Because I think that's a question a lot of people are just like, how the heck do I do mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. I think that my family, my adoptive family, which sounds so weird to say, I'll just say that, like, it was so natural to me. Like, I had a life before them, four years of my life before them with my brother. And then I was adopted and I've had the last 20 years with them. And that's how my life went. And that's how it was. I never called them my adoptive family. I never call her my adoptive mom. I've done that more in the last month than I've ever done in my whole life. And it still weirds me out. So that's kind of how it's been for me. And I think that's how it was for them is that they understood that I had a life before them. And my birth family was the family that I was born into. And, you know, that's just how it was. And then I was adopted and they were my, I guess, forever family. Um, and they just, you know, my mom might say that her definition of family expanded in that. Um, she knew that in adopting us, she was bringing in that part of our life. She was bringing in another family. And in our situation, um, you know, it wasn't an open adoption. It was a closed adoption. And so there was no relationship. Um, and there hasn't been for 20 years. So that was different. Um, there was no visitation, letters, anything like that. But I think that in our family, the ways that my family made room for my family, that sounds weird. <laughs> um, I think it goes with like my parents' attitude and my whole family's attitude towards my biological family. Like they never spoke badly about them and they were not and they are not the best people. Like I'm not going to lie about that. But they are generations of broken people. I mean, in some ways we all are, but they're generations of broken people who don't know Jesus. And that's a big difference. Um, and so I think that my family understood that and they just, you know, they, we had pictures. We looked at pictures a lot. We talked about it a lot. Um, I actually asked my mom this question um, about, how much of our story did they share with us? And she said that it was very much like a two-way street. They would answer questions that we had and we would tell them things and they would believe us and understand us. And if we had questions they didn't, they couldn't answer, they would go find out. Like there was no, oh no, you're not allowed to know about that. There was a, okay, I'll find out. Or a, you know, how do we explain, you know, generations of hurt and abuse to a four-year-old well we just say that they were broken hurt people and they hurt each other like that's the truth um you know yeah we didn't know the nitty-gritty details but I think a way that we knew that they accepted us 
um, us being my brother and I in our biological family was, was that they didn't lie to us. Like there was no withholding information. Um, they, they answered questions we had, you know, they realized very quickly that at birthdays and holidays, it was hard. Um, you know, like every birthday to this, like even this year, like my mom will come up to me and she'll go be like, happy birthday. And then she'll say something like, she'd be so proud of you. She always says that. And that's, I think that's part of the way of letting your child know that you think about that. And I know my mom does. I know she does. And, and, and at major life events too. Like when I graduated college, my mom just, I mean, she was balling. She was a mess. Um, and I think it was more so than like her other children because it was such a milestone. Um, and we know that I was the first in my family and we know I was, I was the first in my family to graduate high school as well. Um, and I think, and I remember at graduation, my mom came up to me and she said she would be so proud and she said her name, but I don't want to say her name here, but you know what I mean? Like it was just, it's those small moments of realizing that like, I mean, if you just step back and think about like, okay, what would I want my mom to be proud of for? Like, think about that. My birthday, my achievements, all that. So I think she just did that in parenting us and they all did you know they I would often be crying in my room on my birthdays and they would come up and say I know it's hard but you're worth celebrating and so just things like that like not being like well don't be sad and I didn't take surprise birthday parties well because I was not a fan (laughs) but just I mean things like that like realizing that there's these losses and I think in accepting that and being open about them and talking about them and not just, you know, putting them under the rug is this awkward thing. And it was awkward. I didn't think it was awkward. I'm sure they did, but I didn't. So I was like, this is just my life. You know, it was my normal. And I think that was a way that they made room for our family. Um, and, and I, Honestly, like now on social media and in this adoption community, I had no idea that not every family was like this. I saw this post. It was like on a scale of one to 10, how open was your family and talking about your story? And I was like, 10. Yes. We talked about it all the time. Like it was a thing. You know, my mom would tell me, hey, you look like your mom. I'd be like, cool. You know, but a lot of adoptees don't have that. And I didn't realize that. I think now, I, I think I said this to you, Patricia, I'm realizing now that my family was way ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And I, and I don't know, I'd have to ask my mom now, like, who taught you all this? Or was it just common sense? Like, I don't know. I even asked my mom, I got the book, The Body Keeps Score. I was like, hey, mom, I'm gonna read this book. And she was like, oh, yeah, I've read that. I was like, fine, just be ahead of me. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good one. Really telling if anybody hasn't read it, that's listening, The Body Keeps the Score, all about how our bodies remember our trauma, Mm -hmm. even if we were too young or, you know, we can't really verbalize it. Kind of science-y, but not too science-y that you can't understand it. I think you are so right in that it's way more awkward for the parents, <laughs> the foster or adoptive parents to talk about it. I think I talked about that last episode. I was like working myself up to mention 
my daughter's mom on her birthday because I did want to do that. You know, it's like, oh, I wonder, you know, I bet she was so excited when you were born or she just looked at you and thought you were so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And, but I like worked myself up all day. How am I going to bring this up? This is awkward. How is she going to receive it? And she tells me she's still younger. She's almost eight. So um, she's not too embarrassed yet about this, her story, but she shares it at school and she's like, yeah, it's just my story. Just like you said, like, it's just who I am. Why would I hide it? It's just part of me, you know? So I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. It is, <laughs> you know, that should be my mindset too. And it is, but in mm-hmm. actuality, starting those conversations can sometimes be really scary and awkward. But I think that's helpful, encouraging to know that it's way more awkward for us probably than our children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think it can help those tantrums because I remember many times when I would just be like emotional as a teenager or as a little kid, really upset about whatever. My mom would like try to hold me. I was like a crazy, crazy child. She would try to hold me. Didn't go well. And she would ask me things like she would catch me off guard with it. She'd be like, do you miss your mom? Do you miss her right now? And I'd be like, yeah, and I'd just cry. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess my mom was just fearless in this is, you know, the way it is. And I think for us, I have memory. Like, I don't necessarily have memory of my mom, but I have memory of not having my mom. So I think that for me, there was no lying to me. And my mom said that I would ask very hard questions out of the blue. But there was no, oh, how do we tell her her story? It was like, oh, she's lived her story. We better be honest or else she's not going to know how to deal with it. But I don't think actually I ever went through a time of being ashamed or embarrassed of my story. I'm just like, and I bet that just tribute to your parents and like how well, like you said, they were kind of ahead of the game there. I bet you not feeling embarrassed has a lot to do with how open and transparent they were with you in your story and just receiving it, accepting it, and allowing you to accept it without shame, I think probably really empowered you to have that, keep that mentality even through the hard times. Like, just my story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So last maybe-ish kind of question. I'm curious what inspired you to really start sharing about it kind of publicly and being so I mean because you're very open and I know you've also shared I'm not totally open you know hey but tell me about that well I've actually been pretty open about like my story and my healing and my journey for a while I was just more active on like Facebook and I had a blog for a while and I deleted it and so I think that um I think that I became more well, I guess maybe back up. I I mean, like I said, it's always been my story. Like I integrated it into everything. In college, um, I studied to be a teacher. And for my special ed class, I did this huge research project on why students in foster care should be labeled as having the special need of not having a family. Um, not necessarily developmental special needs, but they should have service, automatic services like counseling and tutors and somebody to advocate for them um, while they're at different campuses and things like that because I know that so much education is lost in that process. Uh, so I, I kind of like integrate it into all 
areas of my life, like in college. And I, you know, I shared my story in that. Um, and my professor loved my paper, which was cool. So I think that I've just always shared it. And then as I've gotten older and as I have done better by like basically the grace of God, I don't know what else. I've started having parents come to me and say, what did you do? Because I need your help. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) so I think I've started sharing a little more because I have a lot of adoptive parents come to me and say, I, it like, it's not something's wrong. I need help. And I, and like, I always say, it takes a long time. (laughs) And I don't know if that's what they want to hear. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But, but it's true. And I think that they always look at me and they say, how, how did you come from that? And, you know, you have a bachelor's degree, you're married, you own a car, you're a healthy person. And I think that's kind of why I started sharing it is because my normal was like super inspiring to everyone else. I was like, okay. So then I, I started sharing it more like on Instagram and I like to do it in like the more obscure ways by like just thoughts or whatever. Like, I don't think I've ever formally shared my whole story, but I kind of can't. So there's that too. So I think, yeah, I just started sharing it because I think other people found hope in it. And I think the more I share it, the more I see that even if you're not adopted, like you still relate, like you relate to the hard, hard work of healing from trauma and abandonment by people who should have loved you. Like I know people who've gone through that and they weren't adopted. Like that was just their parents. Um, and so I think that that's inspiring too to people. And I think the biggest one lately has been that I've had people look at my story who are not Christians and say, wow, I can believe that there is a God Um, because they see what God has done. And, and what I always say is I'm like, yeah, well, you know, if I've learned anything in my life, it is that God can redeem anything, you know? And if you read those papers and if you knew my whole story, you would say that too, basically. (laughs) And I think that that's been part of the reason why is because I want to show people that yeah it's hard and but like God is still faithful in that and he can use really hard things um which we all want to (laughs) hear so I think that's partially too why um I share my story and I would like it to bless people who don't know Jesus. And I know that it has helped people who really doubt if God is alive. Um, because, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of hard arguments in my story. Um, like my conception is, I mean, I was just not conceived in the best way. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people look at that and they say, well, God's not good. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I think I said this to you, Patricia, like in my story, I see a lot of the clash of God's will and man's will. And, you know, we are not puppets that God directs all the time because that'd be so boring. Um, But God gives us free will. And in my story, there's a lot of, you know, man's will was done. And a lot of times when God stepped in and said, okay, that's enough because, you know, God is a just God and he cares for 
children. And I think I've seen that a lot in my story. And that's why I like to share my story too, because I want people to see that God can work through really hard things. Well, I think you're doing it. I think that you, you're definitely doing it and um, keep doing what you're doing. And I, I think that it is awesome. And I would bet it's been a part of your healing to, you know, we always talk about making meaning, you know, making meaning out of what we've gone through and seeing that your pain can be a light, not your pain, but how you've come through your pain, how that can be a light for, for somebody else. And I think I told you when I first messaged you, you know, I hope my kids one day can say the same things and they can find the same peace and closure that you have found. And what I also think is helpful about your story is that not everything tied up in a pretty bow for you, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. You, you haven't had contact. And like you said, your family, your first family, there's still, there's a lot of brokenness and there's hope in the fact that even if everything doesn't work out, you can still be okay. And you can still hurt about mm-hmm. it, but you can be okay. And I think sometimes we think we can't be okay unless everything is perfect or fixed mm-hmm. which is probably pretty realistic unrealistic most of the time so I'm encouraged by the fact that you were able to make peace even with the unknown and I mean I know you're still growing and mm-hmm. God's still working on you and I'm sure there's more healing for all of us like I mean we're all broken regardless of whether we've been adopted or not but it's very beautiful to see where God has already brought you. So I am blessed by it. And I thank you. Is there anything that you didn't share? You know, is there anything else really on your, on your heart, any kind of final point for maybe people who are interested or who are currently parenting that you think they need to know? Um, One thing that comes to mind is I think in our phone call, we talked about that, kind of how I as an adoptee see my biological parents differently and I think that that's Mm -hmm. really important um I shared a post about this Mm -hmm. as a while ago or recently I don't remember but basically what I've been learning again and I feel like a lot of what I learn and heal from happens again but it kind of gets better each time um is that just because you're biologically related to someone doesn't mean that you have to love them. And that's a really hard place to be. Um, I know that if you grew up under abusive parents or anything like that, like, you know, you know that it's hard to love those who hurt you. Um, And I think that um, that's something that I've been learning is I see my biological mother as this person who tried to parent us and who I love very deeply. Um, but I don't necessarily know her. And now I look at my biological father and I just like, I don't, I don't know what to think. Like, I don't, I don't love him. I have no relationship with him. Um, I mean, he could 
be classified as a sperm donor. Like there's nothing there. And I think that for me in the adoption community, like I struggle, struggled with the guilt of not respecting him in the same way that I love and respect my biological mother. And I think that, um, you know, I actually had to go back to therapy and be like, okay, what's going on? Cause this is hard. Um, and this is 20 years later, like, <laughs> you know, you think you'd be okay. You're not <laughs> like, you're just not. And that's okay too. I think that's an important thing to understand for anyone, but maybe especially for adoptees and adoptive parents is it's okay. If your kid has to go back to therapy and they're kind of like, ah, I think it's kind of good though, because then it's like, Hey, we're actually getting this early instead of like down the road when you're super depressed. Um, so I think in, in that, I think it was really important for me to hear that biology doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a relationship or love and respect. Um, and that's really hard, like very hard, because as an adoptive parent, you want to encourage your child to love and respect their first family, because historically, you know, biological families aren't always loved and respected. But then one day your child's going to read their papers and see the reality and be like, this is hard. Like, this is where I came from. This is who I'm related to. Like, yeah, they might not have legal rights, but they're always going to have biological ties. So you look at that and you say, um, <laughs> like, how do I, how do I, how do I, what do I, what? Like, you know, it's hard. And I think that that was, that's been a recent hard and then better thing for me to look at that and say, it's okay if I just acknowledge that my biological fa uh, father gave me some DNA and that's okay if that's where it begins and ends. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be angry with him, but it's not okay to be angry to the point that it destroys me because my anger is not changing him. And I think that that's been mm -hmm. something that I've had to struggle with. And I think that I know that it's something that other adoptees and even people who aren't adopted struggle with. Um, you know, you want to love and respect your parent or your sibling, but then when they do things to you and, you know, you know, there has to be a point where someone says, no, you have to have healthy boundaries in that. And that's hard. And I think it's amazing to me that, growing up in my adoptive family like my mom kept such a neutral viewpoint on my biological father I know she was not a fan of him but she never said that he was bad or that she allowed you to come to it on your own exactly and I think that's very important you know I think that's what you're saying is that we don't want to speak negative and we want to honor and respect them as much as is is logical mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there are going not every parent is going to have that reaction you know first parent right and, right. and that has to be okay too and we we really have to let the adoptee come mm -hmm. to it yeah. themselves even though it might be painful and scary for us because who are we yeah. to tell you guys how you should feel yeah yeah and the reality is that it's their parent and I think that a lot of people are scared that you know if like in my post that I shared, I said that I realized that I was actually like 
in some ways rescued from my family, which anybody in the adoption community would say, oh, you don't want to say that because that's like saviorism. And I'm like, no, it's not because my adoptive parents never told me that they rescued me. They would never, ever, ever say that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they might think that, but I don't really think so. But you have to let me as the adoptee come around and see my story. And not every story is like that. Not, you know, some have adopted open relationships like it's very different but I think it's important to know too that that's a burden like it's not easy to look at your family and say you're not healthy people I can't be around you like that's not an easy thing for your child to realize either and I think that you know that's it's a burden you carry like it's sad to look at your family and say that I can't be with these people Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, my parents did a really good job at letting me come around and see that. And they never told me that. They never told me that. And But they could have. And that would have shaped how I thought of my family. <laughs> like, right. But I wouldn't have come around to the spot of, you know, compassion for my mom. And, you know, being brokenhearted over my dad and the choices that he made. Like, I never would have come to that. My mom had told me oh, your family's bad. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. That was good. Well, darling, thank you so much for coming on and continuing to share your story. Yes, if you're interested in hearing more, you can follow good here. stuff. I enjoy reading it. It helps me, so. Thank you again. You are the first of your kind on our podcast and we have been hoping and praying for somebody to have the courage who comes on and loves Jesus and is just transparent about the good and the tough stuff, which I think you've done a really good job at and just convicting parents who might be struggling, but also parents who might have maybe some old fashioned viewpoints and are struggling with changing why it's worth doing that. um, Why it's worth parenting like your parents parented you when you came into their family and your the rest of your life and so i'm i want to meet your mom like i want to also talk to your mom everyone says they're like i need to meet your mother she just sounds from what you've said like she sounds like she's a humble person and just really leans on the lord to parent and that's something i really aspire to be so um thanks for sharing her in some way with us today (laughs) and maybe one day you can come back on later in life and tell us even more (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you tina for doing this you're welcome